part of that. And uh, it's a, a great joy to have with us today, Brother Riley Martin. This young man uh, comes from a great family, apostolic family, who we love very much. Pastored for many years his grandfather and now his father in Muncie, Indiana, and in Fishers, Indiana. His grandfather served with my grandfather on the Indiana District Board for many, many years. And, uh, and I, my brother and I preached revivals for his dad many moons ago. Uh, and just a tremendous family. And we've seen the anointing of God rest upon this young man. He has a heart for missions, a heart for prayer, a heart for fasting, a heart for seeking the face of God. We love his spirit. It's a pure spirit before God. And we want him to come and preach the word of the Lord to us today. Will you receive him with a great big Cincinnati welcome? God bless you, Brother Riley Martin. If you love the Lord, why don't you give that hand clap of praise to him right now? Come on, let's spend some time and praise him for a moment. Such an honor to be here today, honor to have Caleb with me. I think I'm just going to bring him everywhere and let him do all of my introductions and greetings from now on, do all of my thank yous. He does a much better job than me. Um, I'm, I'm honored to be in this place, humbled to stand in this pulpit. This, I think this is awesome. I think this is awesome, the way that God has just orchestrated everything together. It's, it's just amazing to be a part of what God is doing here at Grace Point and Tree of Life together. And this is truly a God thing. Amen. This is truly a God thing. I'm humbled to stand in this pulpit. While I may not be the orator that Brother Urshan or... or um, Pastor Sizemore is here today. I do believe that God has me here for a purpose. I think it was only a few days after Pastor Urshan that spoke to me that God began to speak to me about what he wanted me to preach here. And I didn't know any of this was happening. I don't even know if that was taking place back in May. And so I, I do believe that God has, God has a purpose. God has a way in what he wants to do in this place. I'd like to read from a few verses of scripture. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. First is Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. And it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Psalm chapter 27, or 57, sorry, in verse 2, Psalm 57 in verse 2, says, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. The final verse of scripture, Exodus chapter 23 and verse 20. Exodus 23 and verse 20, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, and he says, Behold, I send an angel before thee. To keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Today I want to speak to you transition to revival. Transition to revival. Can we lift up our hands and pray in this place today? Lord, we worship you, God. We praise your name, Lord. I pray that you'd anoint my lips of clay to speak what you'd have me to say. Anoint every ear in this place to hear 
what your spirit is saying to the church, oh God. We worship your precious name, God. We praise you in this place, and we know that you're going to do great and mighty things today and in the future of this church in the mighty name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, and you all may be seated. I have always been fascinated with the obscure stories of the Bible, the, the stories that you don't often hear that, that maybe aren't so spiritual. I don't know why we don't tell them. Maybe it's that they're not so spiritual. The ones that they don't make it into Sunday school. Yes, there's something amazing about Jonah and the whale. And yes, David and Goliath is always going to fire me up and standing up for that underdog. And, and Daniel and the lion's den will still move me. And Noah's ark is always going to be a, a cool story. But there was something intriguing about those stories that I found for myself by reading and listening to the word of God. The, the stories that as a young guy, I, I, I began to listen and I, I loved Old Testament history. That was the thing that I loved to listen to. And I'd listen to the Old Testament and the, and the history books every night. And finding stories like Ehud, who went to the courts of King Eglon of Moab and secretly assassinated the king under, under the guard's nose and snuck out, all super spy-like. I can just imagine him sneaking in there, and many of you don't even know what stories I'm talking about because you only heard the Sunday school ones, but he's, he's sneaking in those courts, and he, and he sneaks up, and he, he kills the king, and, and it starts the revival that takes place in all of Israel. And then the next chapter goes on to Deborah and Barak and, and the story of Jael, this seemingly unknown woman that you, you really only hear in this story that completely wins the war. And, and those type of stories always moved me. And I, I began to find out these stories that I was like, wow, this, this Bible, this book is full of, of different things. And I was thinking, man, I, I didn't learn this stuff in Sunday school. I didn't learn this stuff. And and when I got to the Samuels and the Kings and the Chronicles, oh, I ate that up. I love that stuff. And I, and I read how, how David, he didn't just kill Goliath and run from Saul and then become king. That's, that was the story I thought. I just, you hear David and Goliath, and then you hear, oh, he had to run from Saul, and then, oh, he became king. There was so much more in there. There was, there was so much more to the life of David. There was so much more that he, he went through. And I read how David... His men were all outcasts, and he himself was an outcast, and how he had to, at one point, he had to pretend like he was a madman. He's living with the Philistines, the people who are his enemy, pretending that he's a madman, and he's letting spit drip from his beard, the Bible says. He's acting crazy like he's a madman just so they don't kill him, and this is the mighty King David that we read about so often, and, and he's living with the Philistines, and he's, he's going out, and he's killing the Philistine camps, and then he's coming back to the Philistine city and saying, talking to the king, and the king's saying, which Israelite city did you destroy today? And he's telling him, oh, I destroyed the Israelites, but really he's raiding the Philistines. And I was just like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that all, all of this stuff happened. And I, I didn't even know those, and those kings, they did some stuff. <laughs> they, they did some good stuff. They did a lot of bad stuff. But they lived life. They had emotions. They had good days and bad days and ups and downs. And, and they made mistakes and victories and had a lot of in-between moments. A lot of life moments that take place. And when you read 
when you read through all these stories, you, you see that transition takes place. The transition of the entire history of the Israelites, it goes on and they're good and they're bad and they're up and down and it, it seems like they're a constant wave of emotions and a, a wave of serving God and going back away from God and, and the transition of God's love and the transition of personal lives like David and like Saul and, and God's love from building his church from Genesis to Revelation, you see this, this transition take place. And I, I began to relate to the life of these figures and see how the similar movements and, and transition of, of my life that God was moving in different areas, I, I began to see how my life fit into the story of the Bible. And that's what the Bible is all about. It can, it can relate to us. It can speak to us in any situation. It's, it's not just a book of history, but the history speaks to our life, to our situation. And, and I began to look and see this transition, this, this transition that is an undeniable part of life. It makes a change that us, us human creatures of habit, we cringe at it. It is a moving, it's, it's a shifting, it's, it's a difference for better or for worse that, that changes the landscape of our life. It, it creates a new atmosphere or, or a viewpoint to which we see the world that develops new feelings and, and new thoughts and, and new emotions and a new view to which we see our lives. We go through something and then we come out and we have a totally different perspective on the other side, new hardships and, and victories and battles and stories and, and testimonies for future years. It is this transition that takes us from where we were to where we are going to the place that we started, to the place that we are going to end up. And let me say that this world is experiencing a unity of transition. All at one time, 2020 will forever change the course of history. You, you can read countless scholarly articles and studies and hear experts proclaim that the world will never be the same. The entirety of the world will never be the same. We all went through this special transition together and we have and we still are experiencing this transition. But it's not just the world that experienced the transition, but the church of the living God. It's, it's been in a transition like we've never been before. Saints are being, are being pressed and shaken and shaped. And the, the churches have experienced doubt in the status quo and, and procedure on how we run things. And we, we, we're transitioning to what, should we do this anymore? Should, should we have church this way anymore? Should, should we even go to this place anymore? How, how should we do this? And fear. Fear is upon the hearts of many because our system of order has been crumbling down before us. And yet God still sits on the throne. The Bible says that he is light and in him is no darkness. I've come to let you know today that God is still in control. Now is not the time to be afraid of transition, but now is the time to move forward. Now is the time to go on to the place to which God has called us. Now is the time for revival. And God has always required a transition before a great promise is acquired. There's always a transition before a promise. 
We see this in the book of Exodus. The Lord says, go to the promised land. But in between Egypt and the promised land is the transition. That two-letter word, go. That word, go, it, it, it's so small, but it has so much weight to it. it. It holds so much because there is a process in going. There is a, a, a place that you have to walk through in going. The Israelites began to go, and the Exodus was by far the greatest event that the Lord had ever done in Jewish history. It is the greatest public act of God throughout all the Bible Everything that the, the Israelites do, they always look back to that book of Exodus. It was so big. And when you re realize that, you, you see that they, they had just come from this greatest moment of their life. They had just come from this greatest moment. And yet they had to go straight from that moment to a wilderness. Can I get a witness from anybody that's ever gone from a promise of God to a wilderness? That you've been praying up here and God gave you this great promise and you've been in such a powerful service. And you've, you've felt the hand of God. You've felt the shaking of God. you felt his hand upon your life. And you've gone from this moment to go back home to your place of wilderness. Back home to walk through the trial. Back home to walk through the test. Back home to walk through everything that's waiting on you between your going and between your promise. And the Israelites had to go to that moment. If Elijah were sitting here, he'd be raising two hands and saying, oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I went from Mount Carmel to the desert. I went from a great promise to the desert place. If Ezekiel was sitting here, he said, yes, God took me to a valley before he resurrected the dry bones. I had to go to a desert before I could be brought up, before the army could go forth. Philip would say, he took me from a red hot revival to a desert place in Samaria just to baptize one man. I know what that desert looks like. I know what it looks like. And the Israelites, they didn't like this transition. They didn't like this place. They began to complain and they began to murmur in their wilderness and they, they began to talk and say, oh God, we, we, back in Egypt, we had all these things. We had, all, we had food. We didn't have to think about all this. We had to, God, God, take us back, God. Take us back to the land of Egypt. Take us back to the place. Take us back to the place where we had food to eat. Back to the place where we didn't have to worry about what was next. Take us back to comfortability. Let us be comfortable again. We don't want to be followed. We don't want to live by a cloud by day, a cloud by night, and a pillar of fire. We don't, we don't want to do this. I'm tired of worrying whether tomorrow I'm going to be in this place or not. I'm tired of waking up and thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be here by the end of the day, or I don't know if I'm going to have to move. I'm tired of this place. Take us to where we're comfortable again. And they wanted the promise immediately. They didn't want the obstacle. They didn't want the, the transition. They didn't want the giants. They did not want the fighting. They did not want the, the battle. They wanted revival without the sacrifice. They wanted the promise without the pain. They wanted the victory without a battle in their life. The people began looking at the giants and the problems and the obstacles and the trials. And the whole generation denied the promise of God. They said, we don't want this because we don't want to fight. We don't want the battle any longer. We don't want to go through this place any more than we have to. We don't want 
the promise of God. It was only Joshua and Caleb and the next generation that could receive the promises of God. And I want to ask a question today. Which generation are we going to be? Which generation are we going to be? Are we going to be the generation that says, take us back to where we were. Take us back to before COVID, before all these things happened, before when we were comfortable in what was taking place. Take us back to the place where we were, where we could just worship and have a great Sunday, and then we could leave and go home. Take us back to our old building. Take us back to the old place. Take us back to where everything, we knew what was going to happen on a Sunday, and we could know going forth this was going to happen, and I can go home, and I can live my life. I don't want to deal with the battle of my own life. I don't want to deal with the circumstances. I don't want to deal with the trial. It may be God, but I'm sick of it. I don't want to walk through the trial any longer. Take me back or are we going to be the generation that says take me forward (laughs) take me forward into the land that God has for me I will walk in the promised land take me to where you want me to be I don't care what it takes I don't care what giants I've got to fight take me forward Jesus Take me through Jericho. Take me through every giant. I'll stand up to every test. I'll stand up to every trial. I will not quit. I will not complain. I will see revival. Clap your hands and praise him if you want to go forward into the promises of God. Oh, come on, I feel... I feel revival in this place. I feel revival in this place. Here's the special thing. No matter your age, no matter your situation, you get a choice. See, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they didn't get a choice. One generation did not experience the promised land, and the next generation does. But you get a choice. You know what I love about this movement, Brother Urshan? You know what I love? It's, it's not the young people who are leading the movement, but it's not the elders who are leading the movement. It's the hungry that are leaving the movement. (laughs) It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It matters about your hunger. How hungry are you for the promises of God? How hungry are you that says, I will do whatever it takes. I will pray however much I've got to pray. I'm hungry for revival. Acts 2.17 says, in the last days I will pour out my spirit and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. It's not about the age, but it's about the hunger. Those who are hungry will receive the vision. Those who are hungry will see the dream. You've got to be hungry. It's all about the spirit. If you're hungry in this place, lift up your hands and just begin to cry out to God. Come on, let's stay there for a moment. Let's stay there for a moment. God, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for more of you. Speak to me, Lord. Show me the vision, God. Show me the vision of my pastor. Show me the vision of what my pastor's thinking, what my pastor's praying. I want to receive it for myself, Lord. It's all about our level of hunger before him. 
And so what is the process of revival? According, according to the prophet Ezekiel, it begins in a desert. The process of revival begins in a desert. Ezekiel 37 the, says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. Hey, we like that. We like the hand of the Lord. <laughs> the hand of the Lord was upon me. And what did it do? It carried me in the spirit. Oh, yes, Jesus, take me in your spirit. Let me go wherever you want me to go. And it set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones. <laughs> Hold up a second. We've got your hand. You, we've got you walking with us. We've got you carrying us. We've got you leading us in the way, the place that you've prepared before us. But a, a valley of bones, that doesn't make sense. I don't like that. I don't, I don't want to be in a valley of bones. What? No, 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 Lord, you, you missed the place. You, it was, you, you took a detour, Jesus. It, this isn't the place. I, I know you had an angel preparing a place before me, but this isn't the right place, God. This, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. I, I'm not supposed to be facing this battle every day. I'm not supposed to be weeping. I'm not supposed to be battling depression. I'm not supposed to be walking through this trial. I, I'm not. No, Jesus, this is the wrong place. You, this is not the place. Oh, no, no. No, Ezekiel, I've got you in the right place. I've got you right where you need to be. I, I know it might be hurting. I know it might be a desert. I know that it might not, the circumstances may not look right. The environment may not look like you thought it would. When you look around you, how many in this place thought, when I look around me in 2021, in the month of October, this is where I'm going to be sitting. It, it may not look like I thought it would, but you've prepared a place, Jesus. You've prepared a place before me. <laughs> And you've heard it before, God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And he says, God, thou knowest. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be here in the first place. We're in a desert. I don't know what's going on. But I trust you. <laughs> I trust you, Jesus. And so you know, Lord. I don't know what you're going to do next, but you do. And so you know, Lord. And the Lord responds, prophesy to the bones. I'm telling you here today, death and life is in the power of your tongue. The Israelites complained in their transition, and they didn't get to see the promised land. But Ezekiel said, I'm in a wilderness, and so I will prophesy to the bones. I will prophesy to my life. I will get up, and I will prophesy to my life. Let me pray like I would over my own life. Let me prophesy over some of your lives like I would over my own. God, I'm walking in your way. I'm taking every step with you, Jesus. I speak life to every situation. I I speak life to my job. I speak life to my family. I speak life to my circumstance. I speak life to my relationship, to my marriage, to my finances. I speak life to my church. I speak life to my mind. I speak life everywhere I go. I'm speaking life, Jesus. I'm speaking life. I'm speaking life. I prophesy every situation is got before you. I will walk in your way, Jesus.
He began to prophesy over the bones. Ezekiel began to prophesy over the desert. He began to prophesy because God had told him to prophesy. You may be going through hell, but you're going to come out on fire. That's the best part about hell is when you come out of it, you're already on fire. And everything around you, everything around you just begins to catch fire. When you start to speak in your trial and speak in your situation, it's Time to speak life. And Ezekiel began to prophesy. And the first thing that began to happen is bone began to come to bone. Bone began to come to bone. Tree of life, Grace Point. I've got some news, good news for you. Step one. In the process of revival is unity. (laughs) And when I look, (laughs) when I look across this congregation, you know what I see? I see, hey, this is revival. (laughs) This is revival. Because when bone begins to come to bone, when people begin to come together, when one pastor and another pastor begin to link up together, when the people of God begin to come together, when unity takes place, that means revival is here. Revival is here. Come on, why don't we praise him for a second right now? Somebody stand and just clap your hands and begin to worship him right now. Let's worship him in the unity of the spirit. This is God's church. This is God's church. Let this unity be a forerunner for the greatest revival this city has ever seen. Let this unity here today, I prophesy over the city of Cincinnati. I prophesy over these churches. Let the unity be the forerunner for the revival that God has here. Ah. Come on, revival's here. Revival's here. Revival's here. Don't let it sit on somebody next to you and you not catch it. Revival's here. Revival's here. You know, why don't you link up with somebody next to you for a second? Just begin to grab the hand or link to the shoulders with the person next to you. And I want you to just pray for revival. Pray in unity right now. Come on, that's it. That's it. Ianalamoshata. Send it, God. Send it on my brother. Send it on my sister, Lord. Connect us together. Let us link up together, oh God.
The Bible says that to the bones he added sinews. That's the muscle. That's the prayer. This is what's added to the unity. To the unity we add prayer. To the unity we add worship. We add praise. Prayer is our strength. Prayer is our strength. Prayer is our strength. When you begin to get together in unity and you begin to pray, get ready because that's an army that's forming. That's an army that's forming right there. When you begin to get together and pray before God and pray over this church and pray over this city, that's revival. That's revival. That's an army that's forming up beyond you. So the bone became, the bone came to bone. Unity took place and the, the sinews, the muscle began to be put on the bone. And, and that prayer and that strength began to go forth. And then the wind. <laughs> I can see it coming from the east, and Ezekiel begins to hear it. <laughs> when it's a long way off, he begins to hear it coming in. That wind, that rushing mighty wind begins to flow down, and he begins to hear it. And the wind begins to blow, and it blows over every dead thing. And it blows out everything that's not supposed to be there. It blows across the desert. All the tumbleweeds go away. All the trials begin to disappear. The situations begin to disappear, and you don't see them anymore because that wind begins to blow. That wind begins to blow. When that wind of refreshing begins to blow. When that wind of the Spirit begins to blow. When it begins to blow over your life. When it begins to blow over your church. Every dead thing disappears. It begins to blow over your backslidden family. When the wind begins to blow, miracles begin to happen. When the wind begins to blow, the Spirit begins to pour out. When the wind begins to blow. Fire begins to come down to your situation, to your trial, to your need. I want somebody to declare, wind, blow. Wind, blow. Blow in my life. Blow in my church. Is there anybody that's hungry for the wind to blow? Is there anybody that's hungry for more of heaven? Is there anybody that's hungry? Wind of miracles, blow. Winds of revival, blow. Blow on me. My family might be backslidden now, but wind blow. My neighbors may not know what the Spirit's all about now, but wind blow. I may be dealing with things in my job, but wind blow. Blow over everything, Lord. Blow until we are an exceeding great army. Blow until we stand before you at your beckoning command and say, Lord, what do I do? What can I do? Wind blow. I'm ready for a hungry saint of God to say, wind blow. Winds of revival blow. Where's the hungry student? 
Where's the hungry young person that says, my school may not look like an army now, but I'm ready for the wind to blow. I'm ready for the wind to blow until my school stands up an exceeding great army. Until my job, my workplace stands up an exceeding great army. I want the wind to blow in every situation. I want the winds of fire to blow. I want the winds of Pentecost to blow. I want the wind to blow over my life. I don't want to just sit any longer, but whatever you've got to shake up, shake up. Whatever you've got to stir, stir, because I'm ready for the winds to blow. See, in the wilderness, the wilderness can seem like it's worse than Egypt sometimes. It can seem like it's, it's worse than where you came from. Yes, I was a slave in Egypt, but I was a comfortable slave. <laughs> I knew what every day was going to look like. I knew what was taking place. But when you're in the wilderness, it seems like God is missing. It seems like he's, he's not in the equation. You, you have your promise, but you don't have the results before you. you. You know that he's going to answer, but it's just not happening yet. In the wilderness, you, you know that your answer is here, but it's not in front of you. You know that God gave you the promise, and that promise, it, it holds weight inside of you. It, it, it holds depth. When you've got the promise, but not the answer, there's a longing. There's, there's a pain with that inside of you. When, it, when something is birthing inside of you, that, that's painful to have what God told you he was going to do but just not have it yet he, you have the words in your heart you have the promise in your heart but you don't have the results yet you know that God can perform miracles but you just haven't seen it yet you know that God can can heal the masses and fill the masses with his spirit but but you it's just not happening yet and there's there's doubt with that and we battle pain with that and we battle depression and we battle fear and this transition it's a scary thing. It's uncomfortable because there seems to be no certainty to what is taking place. We human creatures of habit, we don't have the certainty that, that it's going to take place on the other side. And anxiety is the fear of transition. Let me say that again. Anxiety is the fear of transition. Let me tell some of you, the enemy cannot form a plan for you. He does not have the power to create a plan for you, but he can destruct the plan of God. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy the plan of God for your life. He wants to kill the promises over your life and steal what God has given you. But he cannot create something new for you, this new plan that you're now getting to walk down. The Lord has formed you, and he knows the plans for you. And he will carry it on into completion. But the enemy will do everything he can to disrupt those plans, to make those plans not a part of God. And the tactic of the enemy is anxiety. The tactic of the enemy for the plans of God is anxiety of maybe, maybe I didn't hear God right. Maybe that promise isn't really supposed to happen. Maybe I, I, I missed the mark and maybe I, I'm really never going to walk into the place that God has for me. And so I'm just going to be complacent in where I am. 
I'm going to learn to deal with my situations and my trials because maybe God will never bring me through that. And anxiety begins to come down on our lives because in transition, sometimes the Lord is silent. He's silent and he expects us to be still. He expects us to be still, but God is never still. We are still, but he is not. He is constantly moving. He is constantly working. Don't fear that God is not working in your situation. Don't be anxious that he is not moving while you are still. He is always still, and he is always moving while we are still, and we must trust in him. The enemy knows our past, though, and he knows that the past is a safe place. He knows that the future is cloudy, but the past, we know about the past. We can go back to the past because we understand it. We know about it. We, we know it, we're, it doesn't make, the past doesn't make us anxious. Sure, it, it has hurt. It, it has fear. But we're not anxious about what the past was because we've already been there. It's not something new. And so he knows that the, the future is cloudy, but he tries to pull us back to the past. Back so that we're not moving forward, but so that we're like the Israelites who say, take us back. Take us back to where we were. Because there's a time to mourn. There's a time to mourn in the time in the past, but there's a time to get up. The suffering, if the suffering just won't go away, if it just won't leave, and you feel like it's constant suffering over and over, it's because God is trying to take you to a new place. Yes, there is a time for suffering, but then there is a time where he's trying to take you to a new place. That transition, it's not a place that looks like you just know suffering. It's not a place that looks like your current life, except the suffering is gone. No, it's a new place that he wants to walk you in. It's a new promise that he wants to bring you in where you still have the experiences of the suffering. You still know the fellowship of the suffering, but you also know the power of his resurrection. You also have the power that you can make it through. You also have that power inside of you. He wants to take you to a new place. The Bible says that when I am weak, he is strong, but the enemy wants to tell you you're, you're just weak. He tells you that when, when you find your life, that's when you lose him. When you lose your life, that's when you find it. But the enemy will just say, you've lost your purpose. You've lost your identity. You, you, you have no more reason to the point where it can lead all the way to suicide or it can lead to just doubting who you are and doubting your purpose in life and doubting your, the plan of God in your life. He, the Lord says that he is near to those who have a broken spirit, but the enemy just says you're broken. Nobody understands, nobody knows, and nobody's ever going to know. Why, why don't you go back? Quit trying to pray into that next dimension because a trial will bring you to deeper prayer. It'll bring you to a deeper dimension. Quit, quit, trying to, quit trying to give that hurt to God. Quit trying to pray to that next level. Quit, quit trying to be a witness of God. You'll never obtain the promises. You'll, you'll never know what God has called you to be. Why don't you just be a good saint on the middle row? That, why don't you just go back to where you were comfortable? He'll use anxiety to frustrate your faith. But faith does not require feeling. Our faith does not require feeling. 
That's when we go back and we say, I speak life. I speak life. I speak life to my situation. I speak life. I will let every trial, every situation, and every trouble build my faith. I will let everything that I've been through be a testament that I'm going to make it through. I'll let everything that I've gone through, all the suffering, all the hurt, all the pain, all the circumstances, I'll let it all be a testament of what God wants to take me through. Stand with me across this place. I'm coming to a close. I believe that God wants to speak to some people here today. I, want, I believe he wants to speak to the church of, as a whole. That the hungry will see the vision of what God wants to do. See the vision of your pastor. See the vision of what he wants to do. But also speak to some individuals that will say, I'm moving forward to my promise. And in just a moment, I feel that the winds of revival are about to blow into this place. And everybody who's hungry, everybody who steps in will receive that revival. What does stepping in look like? Well, it may look like something different for my brother than it does for my sister. It may look like something different because it's all about what you're comfortable with. It's all about what you're used to. If you do the thing that you're always used to, that's not stepping in. That's stepping to the same place that you were. But to step in to to the winds of revival and to say, Lord, whatever you have for me, wind blow. Whatever you have for my life, wind blow. Whatever you need from me, wind blow. Let's lift our hands all across this place. And I want us to begin to pray that the winds of revival would blow right now, today. Today, today, God, let it start today. Let the winds of revival blow in my life today. Revive every dead thing today, Lord. In the name of Jesus right now, I pray over every person in here, Lord. Let the winds of revival begin to blow. Let it begin to blow in this place. Let it begin to blow on Grace Point. Let it begin to blow on Tree of Life. Let it begin to blow on every person, every trial, every situation. These altars are open right now. If you want to step out into what God has for you, if you want to step in to what he has in your life, I'm asking you to come to these altars and let the winds of revival begin to blow. Let it begin to blow over your heart, over your mind, over your circumstance, over your situation. Let it begin to blow over your family, over wherever you are in life. Winds blow. That's it. I'm moving forward, God. I'm moving forward, God. You may be silent now, but I'm not giving up. You may be silent in my life now, but I'm not giving up. Move, God. 